0: The following episode was recorded on September 16th, 2022, and was originally released on YouTube on September 17th, 2022. It's now being released on September 24th, 2022 on the main podcast feed. We appreciate your patience in this regard and anticipate episode number 185 to be up shortly thereafter. Please bear in mind that any information proposed in this episode or any discussion had is in reference from the date that it was recorded on i.e some things may be a little out of date but the content is still in my opinion entertaining and informative so with that said please enjoy the following podcast it's time for championship weekend and we have everything that you need to get ready for it on this week's episode of the indie ball report podcast Alrighty, we are back again, episode number 184 of the Indie Power podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and depending on how the situation works out, this may be a radically different way of uh, doing the podcast this week, but unfortunately a necessary way for reasons that uh, I suppose I shouldn't comment about at this time, but hopefully we'll be able to talk about later on. But uh, yeah... It's a it's an interesting week, both away from baseball and certainly in baseball.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's been an interesting week. And, you know, the important thing is no matter what, you still get us talking about some uh, some indie ball playoffs. Well, I guess, except for the Atlantic League will get underway shortly, uh, even though we know their matchups. Crazy, crazy week in independently baseball, for sure.
0: It, it absolutely was. We have. You know, a lot of semifinals that went final this week. It was something that we mentioned last week that we're going to have whole series played before we could even really talk about them a preview. And unfortunately, that included probably the best series of the postseason so far in that uh, past week. But we do get to take the advantage to talk uh, on Friday now. So we are recording It's Friday. It should be up on Saturday. So that's the good news. It should be up before all the games come out. So we will be able to take a look at uh, three of the league championship series that all conveniently begin on the 17th and we'll be able to probably talk about how they all broke down next week and talk some atlantic league playoffs next week but that's all uh to come what is more pressing though is before we get into postseason baseball we do have some jackal news because as all of you are probably familiar with at this point uh the jackals were leaving yogi berra stadium we reported I guess about a month or so ago, uh, that they would be going to Hinchcliffe Stadium in Patterson. Then I had mentioned slightly earlier in the week that I was starting to hear some rumblings, some, I guess the word on the street, but not word from, you know, sources that told me about Hinchcliffe, but just kind of conversations I had with other people that kind of sniff around tried try to find out the same information that I tried to find out. That perhaps Skylands could be an option to start the year in case the renovations don't start, but then it seemed like I started getting some pushback on that. So it, that started to cast some doubt, but that was all on, uh, on Tuesday night on Wednesday, the formal announcement came through and that formal announcement was pretty much what we said a month ago. Uh, Hinchcliffe is going to be the home of the Jackals. The plan is still for 2023 to start there. There may be a road trip to start just in case uh, they need some more time for renovations. There's obviously a lot of questions there. We have some bullet points from the uh, press conference that they held in that press conference. uh, We will try to link in the show notes, of course, as we do with everything so you could watch through yourself and view, uh, view what they're saying and get your own read on it. But we did go through it. And to be quite honest, it was what you expected of a, pre- of a uh, press conference, an announcement conference more than anything else. But uh, I guess before we jump into some of those problems and some of those observations, uh, what do we think that the uh, plan to go to Hinchcliffe has now become official? We knew for a month, but now it is officially official and now we can really start promoting and start to get a good idea of what's going to happen.
1: Well, I, I think it's, I think it's really exciting for sure. Um, it's, it's a different look even though this isn't necessarily new information, just the, I think the one thing that w- the missing piece was, is this a hundred percent going to be ready for 2023? Uh And it looks like that answer is likely yes. Uh So that's certain, that's certainly good news for the Jackals. And uh you, you would hope just from their standpoint that they wouldn't have to do like a whole shared stadium thing at Skylands, because there's a lot of uh there's a, there, there's some, there's some, possibility for issues with that that we've seen in the atlantic league plenty of times this year uh with the down in lexington so i think that uh it's it's good that we're we're talking about a team that'll be ready in uh the, a stadium that'll be ready in 23 in 2023 uh and the excitement seems to be there now will will people end up showing up i guess that's something we'll have to find out and we'll have to see how the stadium looks once it's once it's ready but i think uh, I, I think just now that the news is uh, officially official, as you said, is a really, really good thing. It's really exciting. It's, it's. I'm, I'm interested to see maybe how long they, it's like. Are they going to stay the, the New Jersey Jackals? Is there any sort of rebrand down the road? I guess we'll have to see. But uh, I think that's probably the next step to this. Uh But for now, I think it's exciting for sure.
0: It definitely is. It does add that air of excitement there. And it did seem to draw a pretty large crowd, both from people on the Patterson side, the Frontier side, and, of course, the New Jersey Jackals side uh, as well. Uh, just kind of going into those bullet points now for what we can take away from that press conference. Obviously, the, the Patterson is getting the Jackals. It's pretty straightforward. We knew about that, so we'll go into that. Uh, some of the things we learned, though, was that this was in discussion for about two years now. So essentially, from when El Dorso took over the team to now, this has kind of been going back and forth between the city, mainly the mayor of Patterson, and El Dorso, the owner of the Jackals. Another piece in getting this done was the Niners manager, Bobby Jones. Uh, Not exactly the name I expected to see mentioned, and I certainly didn't expect to see him show up And a red blazer as well, so I'm not quite sure uh, what that can mean for his future. With the minors, maybe a move to the other team in New Jersey now is uh, seemingly on the horizon. I've certainly heard rumblings about that as well. Uh, so that is definitely a story to watch unfold in the uh, near future, certainly. But he had a large hand in trying to get that done, Wanted to do a lot of work in Patterson with the stadium. And now that uh, we have a team based out of there, Certainly provides a wonderful opportunity for him to to do that kind of work and get more kids into baseball, which is a large talking point that kept coming up uh, during the press conference. Uh, as mentioned earlier, the plan is still to have the ballpark done in time for opening day 23, so I imagine they hit a bit of a hiccup. I tweeted out kind of jokingly earlier in the week Uh, Someone asked, uh, what's the timeline on getting this done? You know, can it reasonably be done in 23? And I simply put, anyone that knows uh, North Jersey knows that construction projects in Passaic County really work on their own timeline. So... uh, (laughs) So kind of under that assumption, I would hope it gets done. But it could equally take three months to finish just as easily as it could take six months or even nine months to get it done. So to try and use the crystal ball to say, I'd probably say expect like sometime end of April, May, I think would be a reasonable expectation to start to see some serious progress. If you want to keep up to date with, you know, some of the progress going on in the stadium, the uh, Hinchcliffe Stadium Twitter account, which... I will try to remember to link in the show notes as well. is a great place for that. They post nearly daily updates as to what they're doing that day, what's going in, what's being worked on for that day. So if you want to stay up to date with that, you certainly can. Uh, likewise, something else that was mentioned, in addition to a lot of the... Uh, Uh, renovation work being done, not just to the stadium, but to the area as a whole. Some new uh, apartment buildings are going up. I believe they also mentioned some uh, commercial buildings as well. There's going to be a uh, more of a river walk too, I believe they mentioned, by the Great Falls. as The stadium's located not too far from the Great Falls. There's a lot of work going on in that area. One of those things is also going to be a new parking deck. However, it's only going to hold 350 cars. That could be a very big problem if most of your yeah that's not a lot of cars yeah at best you gotta assume that's maybe 700 a thousand people max that you're gonna get out of that And that's assuming you're having multiple people in cars obviously so uh and that's also assuming that the stadium on game day is going to get uh sole access to that parking garage which may not be the best bet in the world either so that's something to worry about uh and then just a couple other things here uh, I would also say there's no no real clear consensus among the fan base, at least the one that was watching the Facebook stream, as to whether or not it's a positive or negative move, it seemed like a lot of more suburban fans were very annoyed about this move. They didn't like the move to Patterson. They don't plan to go to Patterson, which I have my own thoughts on that uh, and their complaints about that. And then other people that were more centered in Patterson based off of Patterson were very excited for this, very excited to have a team nearby. And we're certainly looking forward to supporting and and applying the city for their effort to get the team there. Uh, Only other two notable things that I got out of this press conference was that there was no real meaningful update as far as how close we are to the completion of the renovations and as to how this field of play is going to work. Some online discussion has basically kind of boiled it down to this stadium staff going to have to be somewhat resemblant of the old polo grounds in New York um, to make it work just due to the shape of the stadium itself and the way that The renovation plans have been designed. I believe they're planning on taking the track out, which didn't conform to New Jersey high school standards, which was the point of having the track there anyway. But there's other uh, issues with the renovations to make it baseball ready as baseball was not in the forefront of the mind when the money got put through to renovate the stadium. And then the other thing, and this is a very cool thing too, is that uh, we can expect some kind of celebration from the Jackals on July 5th to celebrate Larry Doby breaking the American League's color barrier, similar to what Jackie Robinson did in the uh, National League, of course, and uh, Larry Doby is connected to Patterson uh, via his upbringing. So uh, that would be the direct resemblance and the reason why he got mentioned there. So that could definitely be something very cool to see uh, play out there. But those are just kind of the immediate takeaways that I got um, from the press conference. So, uh, I suppose I'll, yeah, I'll let you get Dobie a word in now. Really cool.
1: Yeah, the Doby thing's really cool. I, I think that because I I almost think kind of when you when people study the the history of baseball and of course like the integration of the major leagues, I feel like uh, the name Larry Doby kind of goes by the wayside a little bit. Uh mm-hmm. and and you know, Jackie Robinson gets so much love and of course is and is well deserving of it. Uh but I mean Larry Doby dealt uh, really with, with a lot of similar things when he when he uh, when he broke the American League's uh, color barrier just uh, just a couple of years later. So I think uh, I think that seeing them, and of course he has the, the Patterson connections and seeing that, I think that seeing them really dive into that kind of history uh, of Patterson is really good to see. Um, now, as far as the other uh, as far as the other uh, points you mentioned, the parking thing is going to be interesting because, of course, um, to be honest with you, I think the bigger, uh, the biggest part of when you have a uh, is getting fans to the ballpark when you're when you have a stadium that's in the middle of a city, any city, it doesn't really matter, it doesn't really matter which one, but when it's in uh, the middle of a city in an urban area, parking is the biggest issue uh, and the biggest complaint. Staten Island knows the knows this issue very well uh, as well, so. Um, 300 whatever cars. That's going to be interesting, uh, to to put it mildly. So I think that that's something that I don't know what kind of options they, they have around the stadium, but I think that is something that's going to it's going to have to be addressed. Uh, but I think overall a lot of a lot of positive developments, and uh, of course assuming that the construction stays on the stays on a good schedule, which, you know, uh, I think is not a, is not a guarantee. Uh, of course I I love, I always appreciate the New Jersey construction jokes for the two New Jersey co-hosts as well. Uh, (laughs) but I think that, um, I think overall it's, it's, I, I like the celebration, the energy seems, uh, seems good at least initially around, uh, around the move, to this ballpark, I am very interested to see what the field and kind of the dimensions itself looks like. If you mentioned just like the polo grounds, if anybody knows anything about the polo grounds, quite a uh, a shape
0: yeah, as far as yeah, like yeah.
1: the outfield dimensions and fences. I mean, I don't know if it'll be an exact. I highly doubt it'll be an exact carbon copy of it. Uh, but if it is indeed an incredibly long way to center field and really short down the lines, that could be very very interesting once this once this ballparks open and ready to go
0: it absolutely could and it just it'll present a lot of very interesting things and it'll be kind of a return to like the very early days of uh, of baseball where you actually have legitimate ground rules for a lot of things I think the only other ballpark where you could realistically say ground rules are in effect would probably be bossy field in Evansville just because these stadiums are of the same vintage. So realistically, that's got to be the only way this will work out. But even still, with that in mind, you have to think that uh, there's going to be a lot of other interesting pieces. And just for people wondering, like, what do you mean by polar ground dimensions? To left field, you had on the nearest side, 279. So not very far at all. But when you went all the way back out, because it was essentially from the infield out a square the outfield the square not anything else like you could describe it as was 450 to dead center was 483 to far right field was 449 and then to near right field was 258 so you have some dimensions here which are extremely interesting. And obviously, if you're not familiar with the Polar Grounds, definitely look it up. It's a very interesting building that has a very long and rich baseball history. But I would really kind of like to see that kind of setup used here uh, for the stadium itself. But again, I do question exactly how the seating is going to work in there. There's some designs that we have seen so far, some renderings of what the final renovations going to look like and obviously it's a horseshoe shaped uh, setup there so you could just put home plate at one far side and you know have everything else set up pretty well it's not going to be a 360 concourse of course but uh um it could still work for that but it is going to be a very very interesting setup there is definitely a lot of logistical concerns here um Likewise, you have to kind of change up the renovation strategy if you're removing the track, and then you have to accommodate for a professional level of, uh, of you know, equipment of, uh, I guess, facility upgrades would be it would be the best way to describe it. So that is a concern to me. But I will say this much, and it is something I do want to con- address: the amount of people saying I'm not going to Patterson, I got issues with Patterson, whatever it may be. Those are fine and fair and legitimate concerns. I'm not going to say they're not. Uh, the city has a reputation for a reason. That said, I really don't value when people say they won't get me to Patterson. They weren't getting you to Yogi Berra anyway. So asking why you left exactly. Monk State, it's like you were drawing 800, 900 on average a game. I mean, when was the last time they broke 1,000 a game on average anyway? Probably 19 at best, more than likely a little bit before 19, Those are not sustainable numbers. I'd have a lot more sympathy if they were drawing even 1,200 a game. Because then you could say, all right, well, that puts them still bottom half of the league attendance-wise, but closer to the middle, closer to the median. If they were getting the median number, the average number of fans a game as the league average is, I'd have a lot more sympathy for that. I'd say, you know what, they probably should have accommodated that more. That should have been more of a concern. But I also guarantee you, the forces that be would have had that as much more of a serious concern. So when I hear people complaining, it's like, well, you're complaining, yes, but what grounds do you have to complain about it when you really didn't do anything to prevent it, right? Like, if you would have went to games, if you would have brought friends and family to games and spent more money at the ballpark, there was ways that you could have individually impacted the team and then had, as a collective fan base, more of a say in where they were going but at the end of the day that didn't happen because you weren't enough of a force to really take seriously because there wasn't enough you to take seriously so i that was something that i just got tired of seeing spammed in the chat over and over again
1: yeah a hundred a hundred percent agree because i mean that was my initial point is the the worry about getting how but how are we going to get fans to go to patterson honestly they weren't going to Yogi Vera anyway. Uh, you, you just got to look at the numbers objectively like that. At the end of the day, like, yeah, of course they're going to lose some fans going to, um, to Patterson, but they could also gain a lot more going going to Patterson. We don't know. So, yeah, that, I totally agree with that. If you, if you went to, like, maybe two Jackal games a year and you're saying that you'll never go to Patterson, that's fine. Like, okay. Like, cool. At the end of the day... Uh, you, you don't have a legitimate gripe in that sense. And, you know, I, I think that th- it's not like the they were drawing well at all. I mean, they were dead last in the league in attendance. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's something the Jackals really should worry about when they're talking about this move because they were dead last. So at the, at the end of the day, I totally agree with you. It's not like that they're losing many fans. Or it's not that they're losing a substantial amount of fans just because there wasn't many to begin with and now you're hoping to gain some more and establish a new fan base in Patterson.
0: Exactly. It's it's how much more can you really lose when you've already lost that much, right? So uh on that note I think we've kinda said all we're gonna say about the matter, although I do think we're gonna come back to the, the one comment I kind of made in passing there, which was Bobby Jones's future with the miners, I will say. When I saw that and then I got like a couple of uh, comments about it from a couple of different people, all of which I, I trust and be in the know uh, to varying degrees. And they all were kind of leading me. They didn't say anything, but they were leading in a certain direction. And then the more sniffing around I did, I I think there's some smoke there. I really do. I I wouldn't be shocked to see him migrate teams in New Jersey. I'll, I'll put it like that. That's something that. Once we're out of the postseason and we're we're done with all of this, it's something I'm definitely going to want to revisit unless there's been some sort of formal announcement one way or the other. So uh, certainly something uh, to watch. I think you're going to see a lot of very interesting moves from both New Jersey teams this offseason. So if you're a Miners fan or a Jackals fan, this is going to be a fun offseason. That's something I think I can safely say. With that said, though, we're going to make our move into postseason baseball because it is Championship weekend because all the championship games are starting this weekend, or rather, are in the middle of happening. And we're going to start with the Frontier League, like we all have done pretty much all year, because this weekend, this past week, in the Frontier League, has lived up to the hype. Starting with uh, game two of the divisional series against uh, Ottawa and Quebec, Ottawa traveled to Quebec. Up one zero in the series, they needed one uh, win to get the job done it was a very very close and hard fought game and honestly is a solid contender for game of the year Ottawa took a lead early Quebec snatched the lead uh, from them made it 2-1 then the third tied it up Ottawa did then in the fourth Quebec got the lead back in the sixth Ottawa takes it back and then it's score locked and deadlocked for quite some time in the eighth inning the lights go out because there's a power outage, then luckily the, the lights came back on, the power was turned back on, uh, although I will say, if you look up some of the videos uh, from Quebec and from, I believe, uh, Carl Tardif, who won uh, the reporter of the year for uh, the Frontier League, you look up some of the videos they were tweeting out, it was very cool, they were singing and whatnot, they had like the phone lights like candles in the uh, stadium and whatnot, they are they were having a really fun time it seemed like a fantastic atmosphere for a baseball game uh to be honest with you uh and then they get to the bottom of the ninth quebec has no outs bases loaded matt veiling comes in and he strikes out the next three batters in order to retire the side and the threat 10th inning they each side gets a runner but doesn't really do anything with it we get to the 11th at this point um the pitcher for the Miners that's been on the mound in Franklin Parra, he's thrown in three innings. He's going on to his fourth inning of work, and he's been lights out to this point. He, he would wind up pitching the full four full innings, uh, only walking one as the lone base runner that would get on base, and he struck a five in those four innings as well. Uh, but more to the point, uh, the the Capitals managed to get some more base runners on, and then TJ White winds up getting a base hit with, I believe, two outs, in the bottom of the 11th to get the fourth and winning run across the plate for the Capitals, forcing a game three. So before we get on to game three and then finish talking about that series as a whole, uh, it was an exciting finish to game two, and that deserves its own conversation right now.
1: Yeah, I think that – I mean, I, I think it had to be game of the year, honestly. Just with, with – with beyond baseball with the lights going out and kind of setting all of that into motion – uh, I mean, it was an an awesome game, and that's what an elimination game between two rivals should be, honestly. Uh, and it was just seesaw back and forth. Um, and I mean, you get hats off to Franklin Parra, really, out of the Quebec bullpen, and with with go without giving up a hit for four innings, finishing that all the way. And I think that I mean that's that's exactly what you would I mean. With Pat Scalabrini running the show, like I mean, that's Parr's game at that point. Especially with how he was pitching, you're either going to win with him or you're going to lose with him. Uh, but yeah, just an unbelievable game, a true classic between between both of these teams, and certainly uh, that to force to force a game three. You almost wish like a game like this could have been like game three, but I mean, uh, just an unbelievable baseball game that will go down. Uh, In the history books, especially, um, especially if it ends up being a special season for one of these teams,
0: absolutely. There, I mean, I also just wanted to acknowledge Matt Valen had a fantastic performance as well. Both bullpens really, really showed up and balled out really I mean you can't you can't ask for a pitcher to come into a more high leverage situation of bases loaded none away tie game bottom of the ninth if you even walk a guy uh, even a deep fly ball or a passed ball will lose the game for your team And you come in you not just get three outs but you get three strikeouts that's some real ice in the veins type stuff there Uh, but yeah Franklin Parra I mean his performance is just as if not even more impressive you only walk one person in probably the four most high leverage innings of your entire season because you come in after the lights come back on in the eighth it's a tie game for eight nine ten and for his part of the 11th i mean knowing that even one slip up could end your season that's some high leverage that's some high stress situations there and he just handled it so so tremendously well that uh i you just gotta tip your calf to i mean that's just ottawa getting beat by a fantastic pitching performance and i mean like you said it it has to be game of the year i mean you don't you can't ask for anything more in a playoff game than that so uh that sent us in motion to game three on sunday uh both Game three and game two of the West Division series would be played on this day as well. It was also a close game for a while. We'll finish up on the Quebec series, of course. Scoreless through the first three, Quebec breaks the tie. They get one run, nothing going in the fifth. But in the sixth is really where they kind of broke it open. They put up three runs, took a 4-0 lead. In the eighth, each side got a run, and that was just about all there was. So I guess you could say it was a lower-stress game. If you're a Quebec fan, but even still, a 5-1 victory is uh, its not always the most uh, low-stress game uh, certainly available there. Carlos Santo with the win in that one, and half-soft to Chris Bucia as well. Uh, Santo went five and a third, three hits, no runs, six walks, six walks, four strikeouts uh, for Santo, but Chris Bucia, the guy who I kind of thought was going to get game two, but you know, thinking about now, it does make sense that you would hold back the better of your two starters for a game three if you need them, and also keep them ready for a possible championship game start as well. Uh, But Brucia went out four and two thirds. He gets tagged with a loss, two hits, one earned run, one walk, four strikeouts there. A solid outing here. Zach Westcott, comes in and relief for him only goes to two uh, thirds of an inning he surrendered three hits two earned on uh, three hits and one walk uh, certainly there and then uh, Matt Vallon came in as well and then uh, Escara Escara uh, also came in to pitch for them too. Uh, bullpen outside of Westcott did pretty solid and I think in the case of Zach Westcott it was he threw a lot of innings over the course of about a week's time so I think that just kind of caught up to him at a bad point and meanwhile on the flip side. Uh, Michael Austin came in to relieve Santo. He allowed no base run. struck out three of the uh, five outs he managed to get. David Richardson surrendered two hits in one run. And then uh, Samuel Adams finished the job. He went one inning, struck out two in the ninth, and ended the day for, uh, for the uh, Titans and ended their season here. So... Uh, certainly yeah. was a bit of a touch and go series in the beginning and then Quebec sure. kind of took over there but a great series nonetheless
1: oh yeah and no, a series for the books for sure and i i hope this is not the last time that we see uh in the in the uh, near future that we see these two teams battle it out in a, in a playoff series i think you i think you hit it uh right on the head as far as westcott uh and i think he i was going to say he i i think he got to a point where uh, He's just running out of gas uh, a little bit, and I understand putting him in out of the bullpen. Uh, it's a, an elimination game and all hands on deck. Just kind of seemed like he he ran was running out of gas a little bit at the end. Uh, of course, it already started a had already started a playoff game um, earlier, but uh, I think that you got to give credit certainly to uh, you got to give credit to uh, Quebec for. The, the offense, even though it was off to a bit of a slow start, they had that big they had that big sixth inning, um, and the pitching. I mean, the one thing you could say about Quebec that whole series, the pitching was really good, especially the back end of that bullpen uh, was lights out, and uh, that's why they're such a good team. That's why they're hard to beat. Um, and I mean now, uh, and they were able to put away uh, the the rival the rival Titans for a uh, to advance to the Frontier League Championship Series.
0: Absolutely, and I mean, also hats off to the Ottawa Titans too. I mean, coming into this series, I thought it was going to be a steamroll situation. And I think part of that too is I watched a boulder team that really just was out of gas go up against a Titan team that had more left in them. And so it really made it look lopsided. And I was just thinking, oh, well, this is a Titan team just taking advantage of a weaker boulder team that just is out of gas. But they showed in this series that they are and were a very legitimate threat. And honestly, if they would have gotten to the finals instead of Quebec, I would have given them an equally as good shot against their Western Division opponent. Uh, and they really did prove an awful lot to me. There was a lot of guys, A.J. Wright being one guy that really stepped up in this postseason. And uh, I certainly am interested to see what kind of team they're going to return next year. I think Ottawa, if they could just be a little bit more consistent in the regular season, could very well win the East Division next year. I think they are a very, very good team, and they definitely changed my opinion of them over the course of this series. I have to give them that, and hats off to the Titans on that. It was a very fun series, a very well thought series, too, so uh, a very enjoyable, very, very enjoyable series.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, an Ottawa team that, they haven't, they haven't played and they haven't played a full season of course they kind of had to build the team from scratch going into the frontier league it's a really it was a really difficult situation and for them coming in and bobby brown did a great job uh and nothing nothing to hang their heads about at all uh and lose and you know going down to a really good quebec team so i mean but ottawa certainly what what a great season for them
0: absolutely on the flip side in the West. Game two took place, and I want to really say that uh, it was a closer game than the score would have you believe, but it never really felt like from what I was seeing on it that this game was ever really truly in doubt. In the second inning, Schomberg struck for four. Uh, the wild things would not get on the board until the sixth. They put up a run in the sixth, put up a run in the seventh. They had a couple of threats in there, of course, but Uh, In the ninth, Schaumburg got both runs back plus another to go up seven to two. And then in the ninth, there was just nothing going for the Wild Things. So the final score is seven to two. Schaumburg sweeps Washington in that one. And this is a Schaumburg team that last week I said they're opportunists. They will take advantage of it if you give them an opening. They will take full advantage of it and they will make you pay. And they proved that again in this series. But for just as much as they're opportunists, this is a team that has a lot of familiar faces from last year's championship team. Supplemented with a lot of newer additions that they just kind of go right for you and they know how to play postseason baseball. And if you're not careful, they are going to beat up on you. You have to approach them very carefully and kind of get a little bit of luck from some of their, you know, hit or miss guys. And the ones that aren't hit or miss, you just got to do your best to contain them. And if you're able to do that, then, you know, you're all well and good. But if the hit or miss guys are hitting, you're going to have a really rough night. And that kind of was proven in this series as uh, the Boomers, you know, they they beat up on Washington for the second straight year in the postseason. And uh, on the flip side, I mean, it's going to be tough being Washington again, getting so close to... You know, playing for a championship and trying to get that first championship. One of the teams that truly has been a model franchise, been very successful on the field, off the field, to still not have that championship. It does kind of burn you, and to be eliminated again by the same team as last year, that's gotta hurt as well. But uh, a lot of good performances on that Schaumburg side, and unfortunately for Washington, they just uh, they had two bad innings in that. Kind of cost them the the whole uh, the whole game and get down to it.
1: Yeah, I think Schomburg. I mean, they are the poster child for getting hot at the right time, and that's yeah. not to say because uh, I think last year was a bit more of an example for that. Per se, yeah. Just because I mean, to be honest with you, last year they were they won a bad division. They were pretty much an average team for most most of the season.
0: You can um, even argue below average, to be honest.
1: Yeah, for for sure. And I, I think this year they, they had a better regular season, but I mean, yeah, this team, they it, it's, it's got a sting certainly for, um, for, for Washington, but I mean, you got to give credit where credit's due. And uh, Schaumburg getting hot at the right time, taking down a, a really good Washington team. Uh, and I mean, I mean, when you look at this game too, specifically, I mean, Rob Whalen's a really good arm uh, and they were, they were able to hit him pretty good for five innings. And, Schomburg. I mean, overall, uh, the, the one thing you have to, the one thing you got to say about Schomburg is, man, did the, the, their offense come to play in this series? Uh, and shocked and something that we really haven't seen against Washington all year is their their pitching staff honestly getting brutalized the way they did in this series, uh, and just being able to go win a game on the road, especially uh, in in this game too as well. So I mean, congratulations to them. Their their offense. Uh, is getting red hot at the right time for sure. Uh, and which should sound familiar to a lot of Frontier League fans. Will they be able to finish it? Well, I guess we'll have to see about that. But, uh, setting up a big showdown, uh, with, with the Quebec Capitales. But I mean, same old story for, for the Schaumburg Boomers because they, they just, you, when that, when it comes playoffs on you, you can never, ever, ever count them out. And they've proven that yet
0: again it's honestly so impressive that they're able to do that not to mention that one if you look at their bullpen between scott shears and thompson they gave up one run in this game game two and they allowed what uh two four six seven base runners in about uh three and two thirds work pretty impressive i mean Daryl Thompson, not the Daryl Thompson, but Daryl Thompson, the, the reliever Daryl Thompson, uh, in two innings of work, he struck out five, he faced 10 batters. So half the guys that came up, he was striking out, and only four of them reached base here. So once you take out the two walks and the two hits, I mean, it, it was still an impressive performance with him, but even more impressive there. I mean, it's a strong bullpen, and also Yashikawa got to start again. So it tells me that that light tower in game one Of the postseason that wildcard game almost helped out the boomers a lot right because Yoshikawa pitched pretty good to start you know it's very limited amount of work before game one had to be suspended and then he gets to come in he gets to pitch a couple more times as well because his arm's still fresh he basically made a bullpen start in that first game and he's able to pitch in this decisive game and quite clearly he went five and a third allowed five hits two walks and one run struck out six He clearly was on. He clearly was a large reason why the Wild Things couldn't really get any offense going that day. And it allowed the bullpen, which kind of had to do some work in other games, to rest. And it's definitely very helpful for them. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how the rest of the championship series plays out. as That's got underway this past Wednesday, the 14th, uh, with Game 1 being at Schaumburg. As well as Game Two at Schomburg, as now we switch to a best of five for the Quebec and uh, Schaumburg uh, a series to win the championship of the Frontier League. But uh, very interesting series in a very interesting way that that's all worked out.
1: Yeah, I think sh- just I mean just the fact that Schaumburg continuing to do continuing to do what they do uh, in the postseason, and you know for Washington, second consecutive year, it's uh, a tough one to swallow um you know going out by against the same team uh you know you almost wonder what else can they really do I, mean, I still think they're at a point where they're building their roster the right way uh it's just baseball playoffs in in any in any league is always a crapshoot and uh they're just not able to get hot when it matters most uh so i mean congratulations to Schaumburg and a, a tough way to go out for washington who had so many things go their way during the regular season once again, but it just wasn't enough again in the postseason.
0: Yep, unfortunately uh, unfortunately for Washington there. But we do have a championship to look at, and we will get started on that right now. Game 1 in Illinois on Wednesday, the 14th of September. Uh, game 1 went to Quebec, 6-3 win for them. A couple of big innings to start. They got all the runs in innings 2, 3, and 4, Two in inning two, three in inning three, and one in inning four. The Boomers kind of answered back in the sixth and the seventh. They put up two in the sixth, one in the seventh. But in the end, while the hits were similar, the runs were not. A big win for Miguel Fuegas, who go six innings, allows seven hits and two earned runs. Only three walks for him, only three strikeouts as well. David Richardson's responsible for that other run on the board. But Frank Montescello does his job. Franklin Parra, just a few days after having a very clutch performance in Game 2, comes in and shuts the door, gets the save in one inning of work, allows two base runners, gets a strikeout, that's all she wrote. Flip side for the Boomers, Luis Perez was pitching. He allowed 10 hits, 6 runs, 1 walk, 6 strikeouts, and 6 things of work. After Perez exited the game, though, only 3 walks and 2 hits uh, by the bullpen. There. So quite clearly against Schaumburg showing that the bullpen is really the backbone of this team. If they can get a good start, they can shut you down. That's something we've known this whole postseason and really most of the season this team was capable of doing. Uh, bullpen guys uh, Pichardo, Shears, and Joyce for the Boomers there all looking very strong in their outings as well. Uh, overall though, just not too much offense going for the Boomers while the Capitals managed to get runs across early and then defend the lead that's what good teams do right
1: yeah I, I think honestly Nick I think that I I view this game one uh in this series as almost a must win for for Quebec and yeah. I say that because uh they had Miguel Cienfuegos on the mound he was good not great but he was certainly good enough uh, to shut down a red hot offense and, uh, and I mean, it's, it's, of course, giving up just two earned runs over six innings. Uh, I I kind of felt like this is a game that Quebec had to win and they did, uh, because one is Fuegos on the mound and for Schomberg they were kind of reeling on the, on the pitching end. I mean, Luis Perez had a really rough regular season. Uh, I believe ERA over six, uh, during the regular season and kind of a swing roll. So I, I think that, um, I think this was really a game that Quebec had to win, and they did. They took care of business. They jumped on Perez early, which is what they had to do, because you didn't want to get into the back end of that boomer's bullpen in a game that's, that's tied or you're tied or behind late. Uh, they didn't, and they they jumped out ahead early. They kind of put this one to bed, uh, even though Schomberg kind of climbed back into it. Uh, Quebec did a good job kind of limiting the damage. I, I don't know if you'd agree, Nick, but I think I kind of view this game one as one that Quebec had to have, and they got it.
0: I wouldn't necessarily say game one was a must-have, but they did need to split in Schomburg. And between the two of them, game one would have been a lot easier to win than game two. So I would say, I guess through doing some jumps on it, I would agree with it. Uh, they couldn't go back to Quebec down 2-0. That was just not going to be something that they would have been able to do. I don't see this team being able to take three in a row against the Boomers. So when you look at Cienfueges versus uh, Perez, or as we'll discuss in a second for game two... uh uh, Cody Pavina or Pavea versus uh, Yoshikawa, it's clear which one's going to be a much easier win. And that is game one. And so they did take it. I would agree with that. And they managed to uh, keep the boomers at bay for that one. Uh, that wasn't quite the case in uh, game three, though, or game two, though. Uh, game two was close for a while. Uh, Schomburg took a lead in the third, went up one nothing. Remained uh, no more runs until the seventh where Quebec tied it up in the top half of the seventh. Boomers got it back in the bottom half. We went into the eighth inning with a 3-1 to score. So still a very close game until the bottom half of the eighth where the Boomers exploded for six runs. Nothing going for Quebec on either half of eight or nine. It finishes being a 9-1 to game. And quite frankly, there was just no real offense for the Capitals in game two. Uh, Yoshikawa, as I just mentioned, pitched in this one. Another five in a third innings. Three hits, two walks, five strikeouts. A solid performance any way you cut it. Thomas nickel uh, he came in in relief, inning in two thirds. Allows one hit, an unearned run, and uh, he strikes two out. Kristen Stott, Daryl Thompson, both pitch an inning. One walks one, one hit uh one allows a hit, both got a strikeout, and neither allowed a run. So only five hits on the day for the Capital offense, only three walks on the day for the Capital offense, and no earned runs. They get one off an error. Uh so that wasn't exactly great, but meanwhile on the Quebec side, the starting pitching wasn't the issue. Six and a third, eight hits, three runs, two earned, no walks, ten strikeouts so a solid opening performance, it was Samuel Adams coming in, and his two-thirds of work and relief, uh, just, just wasn't good, three hits, two walks, five runs, all earned, strikes two out, uh, Kodina, he comes in, pitches a third of an inning, allows an earned run, and a hit, gets an out, and then, uh, David Gauthier pitches two-thirds of an inning relief, doesn't allow a hit, doesn't allow a run, doesn't allow a walk, doesn't strike anybody out, bunch of zeros in the stat line there, but at that point, uh, the game was long dead, so it wasn't wasn't a bang-up performance from the Quebec bullpen there, and this was one of those times where, as I said a moment ago, if Schaumburg gets a good start from their starting pitcher, they're a very tough team to beat in that show today because that bullpen was not going to break at all, and that game two was on Thursday. Game three is later today, Saturday, uh, and that is in Quebec now. So we are done with uh, U.S. Frontier League Baseball until 2023 now. But uh, an interesting game two, though.
1: Yeah, I, I think... It really showed the distinct advantage that Schomburg, as good as Quebec is, it showed the advantage that Schomburg has in this series, undoubtedly, and that's their bullpen. Uh, and you know, it, it also it also should be acknowledged that I mean, how hot the Schomburg lineup is right now. And maybe they were, were kind of sleeping a little bit for the first part of this series, but uh, they really woke up uh, just in time. And yeah, the the score doesn't make the score probably makes it look a lot more. Uh, lopsided than it actually was. Uh, but I mean, they were able to, uh, to put it on this Quebec bullpen. Um, and at the end of the day, this was one that obviously this is a game that Schomberg had to have. I think that's, that's pretty obvious when you're at home and you're uh, already down 1 0. But I think that, uh, it shows really how Schomburg's going to have to win this series. They're going to have to keep it close, turn the ball over to their bullpen. And let them work, and let their offense try to go to work. It's against a Quebec bullpen that's had its a uh, little bit of struggles. They're not a bad group, but uh, certainly not one on the level of uh, of Schaumburg, uh, and especially how they're pitching right now. So sets up a very interesting, a pivotal Game Three uh, in Quebec later tonight, of course, um, and it should be and it should be really fun for sure. I mean, th- these two teams. Um, I think right now they're showing that they're they're the two best teams in the league right now, uh, especially with the way that Schaumburg was able to, to dominate Washington uh, in in those two games, and uh, it should be a lot of fun, and of course uh, a pivotal pivotal Game Three. But Quebec got the Quebec got the split that they needed, so I think they're in a they're in a pretty good position themselves, also.
0: Exactly. Now we have a best of three series when you get down to it, and I imagine. You'll see Sano go in Game 3 on the one side. On the flip side, I'm not quite sure what we're going to see out of Schaumburg. They have some options, certainly, but obviously Yoshikawa's your your best pitcher here. He just went a couple days prior. I imagine, if needed, he could probably go in a Game 5 situation for Quebec. In theory, you could pitch Fuegas on Sunday for Game 4. Or you could just wind up holding him back in case you need him for game five. That's a decision that they could, you know, always make, certainly. So I'll be interested to see what the pitching matchup winds up being in both uh, games three and four, and if necessary, five, of course. But it is a surprisingly even series. And this is, this is a series between two franchises that you could say, are pinnacles of winning. Schaumburg has a lot of historical success in the postseason. Flipside Quebec, they were by far the most dominant team in the history of the uh, Can-Am League. They won, what, five titles in a row? Six titles in a row? Went to, like, seven finals in a row in a league that existed for about 10 years? I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that uh, as far as a franchise success goes. So, uh, truly a historic team that is accustomed to winning, too. It does feel like a battle of titans and two teams that win in their own way, but both rely on a lot of uh, similar attributes. And as we've seen so far, it uh, it really comes down to the bullpens as to who wins. Game one and game two, the better pitching performance won the game on both sides.
1: Uh, that's so so often what's going to come down to. In these in these playoff series is, is the pitching on both ends, uh, but really just uh, what is uh, is Schaumburg's offense going to stay hot now going on the road uh, the way it has for most the most of the, most of these playoffs. Uh, so I think that's that's really interesting. I think also uh, on the on the Quebec end of things, uh, obviously you won't see uh, Cienfuegos uh, on Saturday. Could you see him on three days rest on Sunday? Could you see him on normal rest Monday? I think it's a it's it's an interesting strategy, and that's something that Pat Scalabrini is going to have to decide of when to pull that card. Uh, and of course, so much is going to turn de- going to depend on what happens in Game Three later tonight. So. Uh, it's, it's going to be fun, for sure. Uh, you mentioned a battle of the Titans, but uh, there's there's three Titans, I think you can say, in the Frontier League. One of them has already been eliminated, and now there's two left.
0: <laughs> Very clever on that, and I, I do agree with Very that. Very clever joke. Very clever. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. I'm not the only one making these kinds of jokes. Uh, but I will. Say, I think I Fuegas, the answer is, if Sunday becomes a must-win, then he's the guy you go with. I think you've got to throw right. your best pitcher out, even if it is on short rest. He gives you your best chance to win. You run him out there. And obviously, if it's an elimination game, it's all hands on deck anyway. You're playing for your life. Uh, if it winds up being they win today, they take game three, then it becomes a lot simpler because you could just simply say, oh, OK, we have the luxury of resting one extra day, getting him onto that regular rest. At that point, he will have been off uh, the 15th, the 16th, the 17th, and then the 18th, too. So he can pitch on Monday in that game, full rest. He'd be ready to go business as usual and obviously you would like to see no matter what on saturday and sunday get some mileage out of your starters as well i think that is the one thing that i really don't like about that loss in game uh, in game two is that it was your bullpen that lost it really it was one bullpen pitcher that lost it if you would have pushed your starter they would have went let's say seven innings eight innings and that's kind of when they blew up It's bad, no doubt about it, but at the same time, at least your bullpen didn't get burned through. And they do have the luxury of having the travel day before that, so they have off on the 16th, so a lot of the bullpen guys should be good. But if you could get some mileage out of a guy for the 17th or the 18th, either or, so that way, when we look here in a possible game 5, that all options are available, that really makes it a lot better. I would say, as far as bullpen fatigue goes, I'm a little bit more concerned about Schaumburg, who knows their bullpen's good, so they go to him a lot, even if they're only throwing two-thirds of an inning, an inning, inning, and a third. It's not too much mileage, but it's consistent, so that is a little concerning to me. But overall, I do think this is a a really hard-fought series, and it's going to be one that I feel like no matter what the end outcome is, we have a champion where where you can look in and go, they earned this.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think there's no, there's between these two teams, I don't think there's any, uh, any chance of kind of a fluke type of championship. Both these teams have, have really earned this spot. And we'll, we'll see when, when we talk next week, we'll see uh, who ended up coming out on top because uh, it should be an exciting finish.
0: Absolutely. So I guess being that we have the luxury of being able to do this, who do you think is going to win and, and how many games is it going to take to get that outcome?
1: You know, I'm going to go Quebec in five. I All think right. they're, I, I think they're going to win. Uh, I think they're going to win tonight. I think they're going to win Game Three. Uh, I think Schomburg, I think Schomburg can win Game Four, kind of get their offense going, and then uh, I'm not betting against Cien Fuegos in a Game Five. So uh, I think they would have the advantage, Quebec, if it were to get to Game Five. They have home field advantage. Uh, I think that I, I would, I, I think Quebec's going to end up taking it home in a, in a very close. Uh, but great finish and take it home in five games.
0: Yeah, call it a cop-out, but I feel like I'm just going to pick whoever wins game three. I feel like the winner of game three, it may take four, it may take five, is going to wind up winning this series. That being said, and at the risk of not, you know, having too much parity and diversity on the show, I am also going to agree I'm going to take Quebec in five as well. I think that Schomburg's a dangerous enough team where they've got at least one more win in them. But at the end of the day, Quebec seems like such a complete team that they're gonna be hard pressed to lose. They seem like a team that, you know, they've had, you know, their the knife put to their throat before in this postseason and they've managed to fight back and win it. I mean, heck look at game two that we discussed about uh, twenty twenty five minutes ago. They were on the verge of elimination and they managed to put together five, six innings of just fantastic baseball to keep their season alive and then take it the following day in an equally as high-stakes game. So, man, I I, I have a hard time betting against a team like that. And while Sean Burks had some adversity in this postseason, they rolled through Washington pretty easily. They beat up on Evansville fairly easily, even before the uh, tower light delay uh, the first day of Game 1, they looked to be a better team. And then the second day, they proved they were the better team by just the way they dismantled an, an Otters team that was, quite frankly, a, a very solid and complete team. Uh, so I'm not counting them out. I think Schaumburg's got some fight in them. But at the same point, they really haven't uh, faced too much adversity in the postseason yet. They've been down in a series once. They managed to tie it up. But now if they're going back to Quebec, I like the Capitals to uh, to take it. I think they can win two out of three and win this uh, championship again. So I'm going Quebec in five. However, I do think whoever wins game three has a very, very, very good chance of winning this series.
1: Yeah, and that's why that game three is so pivotal. So I'm sure we'll have some better answers uh, after the game's played tonight, but uh, we'll have to see.
0: Yep, definitely there. And if you have, uh, I guess it's Flow Sports, you can watch Game 3 on there. And if not, uh, there are a bunch of uh, radio streams available. That's how I usually, I guess you could say watch, but more listen to the Frontier League games. Because uh, for the price they want for, for Flow streaming, I'm not going to pay that. So that said, there is some very good radio men across this league. Definitely check them out, check out their broadcasts. And on that note, we will go and switch to the other league that will have their championship starting today in the American Association. Uh, We had a very hard-fought, very well-contested, I guess, divisional round up into this past moment with uh, our final four teams of Fargo, Kansas City Cleburne, and Milwaukee I believe last week at this time we didn't quite know who was going to be in there King, King County wasn't eliminated yet uh, I believe only Lincoln was actually eliminated and uh, there was some very close series here but for the sake of brevity we're gonna kind of just look at the series that was and preview the series that will be uh, this upcoming week here with with a lot of uh, a lot of intrigue in this one
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of intrigue, certainly, I think, in, in this series. Uh, I think the American Association playoffs in general did not disappoint. Uh, you know, the great series that we ended up uh, getting between Fargo, Moorhead, and Kansas City did not disappoint either, uh, and setting up a very interesting championship series.
0: Absolutely. Here, and just to quickly cover how each team got here uh, Clayburn and Fargo, Moorhead, they didn't really face much adversity in their winner. Take all game threes, each side one seven three. The situations to get there were a little bit different, but by and large at the end. Neither team really had to worry all too much. King County Mounted a little bit of a charge in the ninth, but it fell flat. As far as Milwaukee's concerned, they had a little bit of a tougher path. They won 3-1, took some Brian Torres' uh, tremendous fielding efforts, as well as a couple of really solid pitching performances for them to get the win, and also Mikel Gomez uh, just going off and having himself a day. That said, coming into game one, we had Kansas City versus Fargo-Moorhead. In North Dakota at Newman Field and, uh, it didn't quite go the way of the Red Hawks. I think that's safe to say. If they five to one loss, it was a very close game for a while. It wound up being two one Fargo going into the ninth. We were thinking, okay, they got a real good shot that they may pull it out. And then in the ninth, it was a four run ninth inning for the Monarchs. They managed to just kind of take advantage of a, uh, Joe Jones that came in in relief, surrendered the home run that gave up the the lead change there. And uh, unfortunate turn of events, JC Ascara just balled out in a pinch hitting performance there. His only a bat was a three-run home run that gave them the lead. So unfortunate there for Fargo-Moorhead, but they would get their revenge. Uh, On the flip side, looking at Milwaukee and Cleburne, Milwaukee takes that one five to two. Again, another game that was close. I suppose you could say it was two nothing Milwaukee until the eighth, where they wound up going f- up five nothing. Cleburne gets a couple runs back, one in the eighth, one in the ninth. But in the end, uh, that eighth inning is what did them in. Again, another very solid performance from Gomez. He goes three for four, two runs, four RBIs. I believe he had a home run uh, in there as well. Uh, so he definitely or he had two home runs my mistake. so uh, Miguel Gomez certainly the MVP right there. There's a little bit of a sticky situation in that eighth inning uh, that uh, between Smith, Huckabee uh, and Gray they managed to get out of and then Ben Holmes finished the job uh, in the uh, in the in the ninth. So uh, a couple of very interesting performances on both ends good starting pitching by and large. it just, uh, game one in both cases were very interesting. Set up a very interesting stage for, uh, for game two on both counts.
1: Yeah. I, I think that in both cases you saw that, uh, how much the bullpen can really impact the game and, uh, how much, I mean, honestly, when you look at that Kansas city, Fargo, Moorhead game, uh, that's, it's a gut punch, certainly, for, for Fargo Moorhead, uh, in that, in that game. They had a home, they, had, they were at home, had a 2 1 lead going into the ninth inning, uh, and just were not able to, were not able to close, to, to shut the door. Uh, and of course, a can, a team like Kansas City is never out of it. Uh, but I, I think that it, the, the bullpens, uh, even uh, really on both cases, were I mean, Kansas City certainly pitched well. Uh, Fargo Moorhead did not at all. Good, but I mean, the starting pitching in mean, both both in that in that game was really good between Matt Hall and Kevin McGovern. Went exactly how uh, you would think it would. Um, but so, that was a huge win for Kansas City. Uh, and and on the other end of things, you know, I, I think Milwaukee. Uh, even though Cleburne was red hot, Cleburne got the win uh, in their in their first round series. Milwaukee, they brought they are the more talented team. They they've, they're a team that's played a lot better of late. Uh, and they were able to, uh, through a collection of relievers, they used five relievers after Shugel started the game. But, um, but a big road win for them in game one, and uh, the road game, the road teams in both cases taking game one.
0: Definitely, yeah, it was the case there, and it was uh, it set up instead of a very interesting stage for game two, and in the case of Fargo, like you mentioned, it was a gut punch to them, so they needed a big response, and they got it. Out of the gate to get the first run of the game, Kansas City answers back, goes up 3-1 uh, to one in Game 2. Then Fargo answers back by tying it, getting a couple of runs in inning number 6. Inning 7, they trade two run innings. And then in the 8th, this is where Fargo starts to pull away. They get one run. In the 9th, they get two runs. And in the end, they win 8-5 to five, uh, in a four-hour epic of a game to force a Game 3. Tyler Grauer was the starting pitcher for Fargo-Moorhead. He goes three and a third, four hits, three runs. Only one was earned, but he walked four. He struck out four. And this is where the bullpen kind of came in. Feldman, Burlingmar, Stover, and uh, DeBoard, they combined to go the rest of the way, a total of uh, about five and two-thirds innings. Uh, They only allowed two runs combined. Both came from uh, Burlingmar. Uh, in his two-thirds of an inning everybody else allowed a grand total of two hits a grand total of two walks and struck out five so if you exclude that one uh, reliever the other three went out and did their job in spades on the flip side if you look at kansas city nick belzer goes five innings five hits three runs all earned four walks four hits bullpen wise uh Koch comes in, he gives up uh, two runs, neither were earned though, and then the rest of the bullpen, Martinson did alright, Rhodes gives up one run on one hit, and Velez gives up two runs on three hits there, and then Rubio, he, uh, he only pitched a third of an inning, and at that point, uh, it looked like the damage was done, so uh, overall, a fantastic Response by the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks. The cards were down; they were against them, and uh, they managed to answer the call and fight back in their series to even it up and force a Game Three, which would be on Thursday night.
1: It was this time. It was it was Kansas City's bullpen's turn uh, to to really struggle uh, in this one. So I think that uh, I mean the Redhawk offense got got hot. Um, They were able, they were really able to crack this Kansas City bullpen. Uh, and, you know, they were able to get, they were able to respond. It it really shows a lot. It, It speaks to a lot about Fargo Moorhead that. After losing a heartbreaker at home, that they were in a, an elimination game on the road in against a great Monarchs team. They were still able to fight, come from behind, fight and claw and get the victory. I mean, that shows a lot about their team. Uh, and at the end of the day, how could a series between the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks and the Kansas City Monarchs in the playoffs not go three games? It just has to go three games. That's the rules. There's, a, there's no way. Uh, that was gonna that was gonna turn in, into a sweep, but the Red offense—they were off to a bit of a slow start, but they really picked it up late, uh, and were able to oh, able to get a huge, huge road win.
0: Yeah, absolutely, as I said, after that one, we were getting the series that we paid for, for certain. Each game had some late inning dramatics, and it was so worth it on that front. We go over to Cleburne and Milwaukee in their speedy little three-inning game and what was an elimination game. Milwaukee struck first in the second inning. They put up one run. They put up another run in the eighth. Cleburne would make it interesting in the ninth to get one run back, but unfortunately for the Railroaders, that would be as close as they got. Milkman shut the door, take the elimination game two, two games, or two runs, to so one run, and take the series 2-0. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman, with probably the most impressive performance of the postseason so far. In his five and two-thirds inning, he allows one walk and two hits, no runs, no earned runs, and he strikes out 12 batters, just bullying the uh, Cleburne lineup there. Frank uh, Bartow comes in to relieve him, two and a third for him, one hit, three strikeouts for him, and uh, Rodrigo Benoit, he comes in, he allows the one run, but he gets out of it, He strikes one out, allows two hits to end the day there. On the flip side, no shame to be had by Kevin Hilton or Austin Fairchild. Uh, They go uh, seven and a third for Hilton, uh, two thirds for Fairchild. Three hits, two runs, both earned two walks, six uh, strikeouts for Hilton, Fairchild in his two-thirds of an inning allowed two hits and struck one out but didn't allow any runs. So, overall, uh, fantastic performance by each pitching staff. Uh, but in the end of the day, it was just uh, the Milkmen pulled it out. They pitched slightly better, and that's why they are playing for a championship later today.
1: Right, and... I mean, what an unbelievable pitcher's duel this was between two great arms and Kevin Hilton and Ryan Zimmerman. And Ryan Zimmerman, I mean, just what else can you say? I mean, at the end of the day, Cleburne put five balls in play against him in five and two thirds innings, which is, it's just (laughs) obscene. It's crazy. Uh, and the Milwaukee, they, they turned to him and it's interesting because he had a decent regular season, but not a great. Great Regular season, a 4.45 ERA and those 19 starts in the regular season, but I mean, he saved this best uh, his best outing of the season for for the right time uh, at home against against Cleburne and to to put them away. And I mean, a great job by Frankie Bardo, uh, especially out of the bullpen as well, uh, getting a big seven outs to turn it over to Benoit. Uh, just a, a great day for the Milwaukee. Pitching staff and uh, their offense struggled, but at the end of the day, it was it was it was enough because of the the performance of those three guys, and especially Ryan Zimmerman, who just honestly was was unhittable.
0: It was, and I, that's the thing too. Zimmerman for the last few years, I don't mean any disrespect, but he's been painfully average to below average really he had a good season with i believe it was saint paul a few years back but that was really it he hadn't done too much else outside of that and of course you know you like to see it still but he wasn't really the guy you'd expect to turn to in a situation like this and he answered the call and it was truly impressive there and uh, at the end of the day I think we were both shaky about the whole East division. We said about all of them, none of them really are that great. And if you really want to go down to what the championship series is in the West, it's Fargo and Kansas City again. These are your two best teams, and it's not even particularly close. But going now into this final, and obviously we still have to talk about the Game 3 between Fargo and Kansas City, but going into what will be the championship game later today, and for the duration of the week, I feel a lot better about Milwaukee's odds. They came out and they performed yeah. when they needed to. Now, do I think they're going to win the championship? Well, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, that said, I don't think it's as hopeless of a cause as I would have thought uh, even two weeks ago. So uh, no. a lot, a lot from Milwaukee this past, uh, I guess, two series really.
1: Yeah, I mean they're they're getting red hot, and honestly, they played very well the second half of the season, hmm. a lot better than they did in the first half. Uh, their talent is starting to show because the talent was never the issue uh, with with Milwaukee. They have plenty of it. It's just a matter about putting it together and and winning ball games, which they which for the most part they have kind of late in the season. I mean, I picked them to come out of this uh, to come out of this division once the, before the playoffs started. I uh, just thought they were they're the most talented team, and Chicago just continued to be painfully average to below average. Uh, but, I mean, getting a heroic performance like that from Ryan Zimmerman shows the, the depth that this Milwaukee team could have. Don't think they'll be the favorite uh, in, in the championship series, but they are certainly a formidable opponent, and I think we could say the best team out of the uh, out of this division uh, and out of the East division got here.
0: I definitely agree with that. I think you were on to something, too, when you're saying they were a second-half team, and I think that's a case for a non-insignificant amount of teams in the East Division, because all the playoff teams were at 500 or better. And you can look at Cleburne, an extremely good team in the second half. I mean, they went off on a crazy tear their last 30, winning 20-plus. So they're definitely a second-half team. Milwaukee started to pick it up. King County definitely made a statement, too. Really, outside of Chicago, uh, every playoff team in the East – was good in the second half that's where they got their money's worth and I think we may have focused on the record a little bit too much and that kind of distracts us from the quality of team they were I will agree in that I don't really think they're going to be a favorite against this next team but that said it it does also help their cause a lot more because if you're hot we saw in dozens of leagues over the last few years being hot is just as good as being extremely talented because at the end of the day, it's one series. And with baseball, one series can go any way. And in a five-game series, that's, that's holds just as true as a three-game series.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And that's, I mean, we've talked about it at, the, at length about the Frontier League as well. Uh, that, that, that's exactly what Schaumburg has proven again. And, you know, a team that gets hot, they can, they can take down anybody. Throw the regular season records and other stuff like that out the window. Uh, so Milwaukee's definitely put themselves in a position to do that now in the championship series.
0: Absolutely, and let's let's get around to talking about the team they're going to be playing. Uh, Game three, Fargo-Moorhead versus Kansas City, of course in Kansas City. Uh, It was scoreless through the first two, but then Fargo strikes for two in the third. They get one in the fifth and the sixth, and then in the eighth, uh, Kansas City looks like they may have something. They may be coming back a little bit. They get a run, but... That would be it. Uh, Fargo got some tremendous fielding plays. They got some some lucky hits. They got exactly what they needed to uh, take the game four runs. The one run each side had nine hits. Kansas City had three errors, which I suppose at the end of the day is what's going to do you in. Uh, Correa looked fantastic. Uh, he got he went one for two with a pair of walks, two RBIs, of course, and a run scored. Really, when you look across this whole lineup. Everybody got a hit except for Drew Ward, who managed to get a walk, and uh the lone other guy is Alex Oland, who uh was the only guy to not reach base. So a fantastic performance all the way through that lineup on the flip side. You look at Kansas City. Uh they also had some guys getting hits, but it was really the upper half of that lineup. Kuzma, uh Almida, Ascara. And Santa, they did not get any hits. Now, of course, the scar was a pinch hitter, uh, and he drew a walk as well as Santa did, or Santa did, and um, it, that was about it on that side. The upper half of the lineup, though, in Gillespie, Hernandez, or Robeson, uh, Groot John, Sweeney, Smith, they all were getting hits. They were getting on base, although in Groot John's case, he was one for five, so not exactly uh, killing the game. Same thing with Robson, one for four in his case, but one lineup came to play. The other lineup, was too top heavy and didn't really produce hits into runs if you want to look at the starting performances Peyton Wigginton, he had the probably the best start of his young career six innings a six hit no run four walk four strikeout baseball in a clutch situation Riley comes in he pitches two-thirds of an inning walks three guys so that was kind of what did him he faced five batters and our four batters rather Walk three of them, got two outs. And, uh, in the case of Jones, he comes in, he gives up that one earned run, but that was about it. Two hits. So he was fine. Then Dubard comes in in the ninth and shuts the door. Flip side in Kansas City. Uh, even Jalen Miller did not pitch bad. Five innings, three runs, two earned, one walk, six hits, three strikeouts. Uh, Martinson, he came in, pitched an inning, surrendered an unearned run, struck one out, gave up one hit, and then, Uh, Hartman came in through three innings of two hit no run baseball but he walked three and he struck two out so really it wasn't even a case of poor pitching from uh, Kansas City it was the three errors and Fargo-Moorhead just kind of taking advantage of what they need to take advantage of and at the end of the day that's what you're going to have to do to beat very good teams and after a real gut punch check uh, in game one The Fargo Moorhead Redhawks answered the call, and now they're going to be playing for the Miles Wolf Cup against the Milwaukee Milkmen later today.
1: Yeah, I think. How about first of all, how about the toughness of Fargo Moorhead for being able to really take a a gut punch on their home field, and then go Mm -hmm. to Kansas City, toughest toughest home place to play against the against a team of one of the best teams in the league on the road and win two games. I mean, ha- just hats off to them. Uh, I mean, in this game specific, I mean, Peyton Wigginson threw a great ball game. I think on the Kansas City side, you got to look at it in the sense of they missed, they had a lot of opportunities and they just didn't capitalize. I mean, mm-hmm. their base runners, they had plenty of base runners in this game. I mean, they had nine hits, uh, but le- left 11 on base. That's going to be tough. Um, that's going to be tough to win a game like that, especially... uh especially when you didn't get a great uh, a great start on the mound uh against a team like Fargo Moorhead so I think when you look at it from a Kansas City perspective uh just a lot of missed opportunities you know one run on nine hits and of course the three errors there don't help as well leading to two unearned runs scoring which had a huge impact on this game um just I think that Fargo Moorhead did what they had to do, but, uh, definitely Kansas City picked a bad game to play, uh, to, to really struggle on, on a lot, in a lot of facets in this game. Um, and they had the opportunities, but they just were not able to capitalize. Uh, and I think that's, that's ultimately, uh, what, what Kansas City is going to have to, what they're going to look at for this game. Just a lot of missed opportunities and what could have been, but that's not to take anything away from Fargo Moorhead who played. Uh, who played an awesome two games uh, in Kansas City and were able to take it home, and uh, congratulations to them and uh, put themselves in the championship series.
0: That's just it. I think they just kind of earned it. And I wouldn't say it's more Miller not giving a great start. He gave a a fine start in my mind. It's just Wigginton gave a great start. And when that's the case, and then you factor in the fielding mistakes – that's going to be a difference maker unfortunately and like you said monarchs left opportunities just laying there and you can't do that in an elimination game and the thing is i think if we would have played another two games we probably could have seen a much different result we could have seen perhaps a a fargo win as a or a uh, kansas city win rather than a fargo win or we could have seen the same result it's just these two teams were so closely matched that such uh, such events are going to be what makes you go. I guess Fargo is the slightly better team, but they both were very good and like I said I wish we would have had this for a championship. I think having that as a rematch of the championship for the championship again would have really been the most fitting end for this, but it's still Red Hawks Milkman is still a fine series and that starts later today at six o'clock in the central time zone. All these times are about to be central time. Uh, so game one will be at 6 o'clock later today. Tomorrow on Sunday, uh, 1 o'clock start time for uh, Fargo Moorhead and uh, the Milkmen, which I'm not sure what I think about a 1 o'clock start on a football Sunday. But okay, that's the decision that both of those games are going to be in Franklin, Wisconsin. So Milwaukee will be the... The home team, those will be the last two Milkman home games of the year. And then on Tuesday, the 20th, Game 3 will take place at 6.30 at Newman Outdoor in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, if necessary, Game 4 and 5 will both be 6.30 starts. That will be Wednesday and Thursday. So at the very latest, the 22nd is when the American Association season will come to an end. Or if uh, there is a sweep, it could end on Tuesday. So at some point, middle of next week... We will have our decision out in North Dakota as to who will be the Miles Wolf Cup uh, champion uh, or otherwise known as the American Association uh, championship team of the year. So uh, be interesting well, to see.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, on that one o'clock Sunday start time, it's OK because the Packers are on Sunday night football against the against the uh, against the Bears. So no worries, Milkman fans. You get to go to the game and then go home and watch the Packers I don't care how badly they played in Week One; they'll probably destroy the Bears on national TV for like the 18th consecutive time.
0: And do we know what time the Vikings kick off at, or are they Monday night? They are Monday night. Oh, uh, they are Monday night. Okay, so they're they're being a actually. So yeah, the one o'clock probably fits really good because I imagine North Dakota is probably Viking territory, and obviously a team in Milwaukee is going to be a a, a Green Bay territory team. So. Hopefully they get some good attendance for that. Uh, I hope so. It, it's
1: going to be a really good series. It is.
0: Uh, I guess we could go through everything here, but I think we're going to have a very similar uh, prediction matchup here. Who do you have winning this series, I guess? We'll just cut to the chase on it.
1: Yeah, I've, I think Fargo-Moorhead just has too much talent. I think they have the better pitching. I think they win this one in four games. Uh, I think they're going to be able to split uh, split in Milwaukee. Uh, and then Fargo-Moorhead's going to be able to win Game 3 and Game 4 on their home field at Newman Outdoor uh, to win. I just think I just think they're the better team, the more talented team, and I, I've been saying, well, we've been really saying all year that the, the champion is likely coming out of the West. Uh, no reason to switch up on that now, so uh, I got Fargo-Moorhead in four.
0: I'm going to agree with Fargo. I think Fargo has the win, like you said, they got too many weapons. They're too talented of a team. They're too good of a team. And once you push a team that close to the brink of elimination, especially in the manner from which it came, you typically uh, you typically don't see that team uh, go easy the next round. And of course, they had to play consecutive game threes. Uh, see, you know, the series against Winnipeg. Uh, that being said, I do think it's going to take five games. I think Milwaukee having that extra day off is going to help them out. At the very least in game one, I think Milwaukee probably takes one of those two games in Milwaukee. I think they probably fight back and take one in Fargo. But in the end of the day, I think uh, the Red Hawks are just too much to handle for this team. Keep in mind that Keon Barnum's also dealing with some sort of an Achilles issue as well, which really hampers his speed too, which kind of turns him into Adam Dunn, which is to say home run or out. Uh, he's not really going to be a threat when he gets on the base path. So if he gets a base hit, he's almost a double play waiting to happen. Uh, And that takes out a major bat in your lineup. I do think that the Milwaukee bullpen is one of the better ones in the league. I do think that they have some dangerous bats and they are playing hot and they're playing well. And that's why I think it's going the distance. But that being said, I think the Milwaukee wins are going to be close wins. I think the Fargo wins are going to be not so close and i think in the end we're going to see on thursday night uh, fargo moorhead getting another um, miles wolf cup under their belt and kind of getting back to where they should be at which is atop the uh, pyramid so i think uh, fargo in uh, fargo in five
1: there you have it then there All we right.
0: go so on that note we have one last championship series and one last playoffs to kind of go over before we get to the Atlantic league. And that is of course the pioneer league. I know we haven't spent too much time on them so far this year, but we actually have some very interesting series. We had a couple of game threes in there on Thursday night. And that was between grand junction and Ogden and Missoula and Billings. And I think it'd be safe to say that uh, Missoula and Billings was not the series we thought would be going to three games. Uh, Missoula, uh, didn't I don't want to say they didn't do as good as we thought because I mean they did their only loss came in extra innings. Uh we'll talk about that series first, I suppose. Uh they won game one six two. Billings answered back six five and then ultimately in game three, Missoula took it four two. So the Mustings did far better than I think we could have hoped they would do. Uh it was a very close game. It was three two going into the late innings in uh in the game three there. But ultimately in the end uh what is the best team in the pioneer league and one of the better teams in independent league baseball showed why they were one of the better teams in independent league baseball uh over the course of the last four days
1: right for sure and i I, billings did do a good job they put up a really good fight uh and you know, they were able to win that game two in 10 innings on the road, and they deserve, they deserve a lot of credit for that. I mean, there's not, not a lot of teams have challenged, uh, Missoula really that whole season. I mean, the interesting thing is when you look at Billings, I mean, the eight, they, they pounded out 18 hits in that, and that only, only six runs to show for it. But I mean, they pounded out 18 hits, uh, against, uh, obviously a really good Missoula team. So, uh, so they, they were able to force a game three just, didn't have enough. Uh, just didn't have enough. Eventually, but in uh, Missoula, able to take it home. But I mean, certainly a good showing for Billings in the playoffs as well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I mean also we kind of expected Missoula being the team they were to just kind of dog walk them just go right into the final and not lose a game the whole way so the fact that you know the Mustangs made it a contest especially in the last two games was, was nice to see uh, flip side Ogden Grand Junction uh, Ogden drops game one to Grand Junction 5 to 13 and game two they answer back winning 10 to six and unfortunately for the Raptors in uh, game number three they Lua lead early, Grand Junction took advantage of it, winds up being an eight five wing, Grand Junction will advance. They were one of the hotter teams coming into this postseason. They won their division, the South Division, in uh in the second half to get in. Raptor season ends. Uh overall, it's kind of what I expected here. This is the matchup I expected really the only hiccup was that billing series you know going the distance I didn't think that was going to happen but overall uh interesting postseason so far for the our uh, interesting Frito-Lay postseason for the Pioneer League presented by Ticketing Smarter
1: <laughs> that's right and uh you know I think you've seen a lot with these scores and offenses uh the offenses kind of rule in this in, in the Pioneer League and that's really what happened in this series and I mean, just, I mean, seven runs combined in the seventh and eighth inning for Grand Junction. Uh, it's certainly a tough one to swallow for, for Ogden, who had a 4-1 lead going into that seventh inning. Uh, but, you know, the bullpen's not as deep, uh, and they were, and Grand Junction, credit to them, they, they battled back. Their offense exploded late, uh, and they were able to get a big winner take all win on the road, uh, to, to now face the wagon that,
0: that is the Missoula Battleheads. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, I guess on that note, we have uh, Game 1 on Saturday, later today. Uh, that's 7.05 Mountain Time, which I believe is 9 o'clock in the east, if that helps you any. Uh, that's going to be the same time for Games 2 and, if necessary, Game 3. It's only a best of three for their championship. Uh, game 2 will be Monday in uh, Missoula, I believe. Game 1, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be at Grand Junction. And then game three would be on Tuesday so by Wednesday this one will be all wrapped up and done uh do we see Grand Junction having a chance do they manage to push this one a full three do they manage to even take the series from Missoula or is this just the kind of gift it and hand the trophy back to Missoula for the second straight year in a row
1: nah give me M- Missoula in two I I'm, I'm, I love them I love me some Missoula paddleheads I think they'll win. They've, they've shown the best team all year. I think they'll take care of business. They'll win in two.
0: See, if you want to send Missoula in one, then maybe they would have sent you that nice uh, Timberjacks hat. That uh, we've mentioned a couple of shows back. True. Uh, but uh, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think it will go three, though. I think Grand Junction has enough fight in them to at least take one game here. Uh, that being said, it, it's Missoula's trophy to lose at this point. I mean, they're just such a talented team uh, and so well managed. It's, It's hard to say. But. Good effort by first-year manager Bobby Jenks at the helm of the uh, of the Grand Junction Rockies. And on that know, note, regardless, yeah, on that note too, can they change their name from Rockies? It's kind of weird to still have your MLB True. Parents Club uh, name while you don't, uh, in fact, have any sort of affiliation with them.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I, I do think they should change that just to move into the indie ball landscape. Uh, permanently, you know, just kind of get a new identity away from affiliate, affiliated ball,
0: yeah. At the very least, like change the colors from purple, black, and silver to something else, right? Like, uh, it'd be yeah. nice, but yeah. So, that's uh, all we got on the Pioneer League. I know we run through them, we'll do a better job with it next year, I promise. Uh, but that's where they stand, and we will cover what they what happens there, yeah, later on in the Atlantic League, though. They have a best of five. Series for all of their series, and we know how everything goes, but before we talk about those matchups, which are set, they became set in stone on Thursday, can we talk about whether or not Courtney Hawkins is going to set the home run record? He has the weekend to do it. He is two back of, I believe it's Ozzy Canseco at 48. That's the record. Hawkins is at 46. He's got the genomes this week, and I believe he should be getting about 15 uh, plate appearances. So... He has a shot at it. He needs two to tie, three to set. I feel like he's got a decent shot, even if he has to hit one in every five at bats.
1: I I would I am not inclined to bet against Courtney Hawkins hitting home runs at all. So I'm going to say he does it. Uh, I mean, regardless, he's had just an unreal season. Uh, just he has so much power, such a talented hitter. Uh, I think he I think he does break it. I, I do. I think, uh, and especially you get pitching that he's facing at her right towards the end of the season against uh, against another team in Wild Health that's not going to be making the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I think I think Hawkins is going to do it.
0: i am be inclined to agree with that. I think it's going to be very cool seeing two records fall in uh, the same season by the same team, really, too, because uh, Darien Sanford got the steals record and he's on Lexington now. Same thing with Hawkins uh, on as a legend, too. Although it's going to kind of break my heart to see a Nork Bears record fall, but... Uh, I would, I almost want to see Hawkins get to 50. That'd be a cool number to. To leave it off at if he gets fifty home runs in one yes. Atlantic League season, that'd that be, be that'd be cool to see. But uh, we're here for playoffs, so this is a playoffs episode. Uh, High Point clinched the final spot on Thursday night uh, with a win. They're gonna play Gastonia. They're gonna start uh, first two games are gonna be at Gastonia. Uh, last three games, if necessary, are going to be at High Point. Uh, playoffs will start Tuesday, the twentieth. Uh, game one will be on that 20th date and game 2 on the 21st game 3 will be on the 23rd allowing one day for travel uh games 4 and well game 4 and 5 uh, if necessary will be on the uh on the 23rd uh, game three on the 23rd. Game uh, four would be on the 24th. For whatever reason, the league didn't bold the Saturday date uh, on the website. I don't know why they didn't do that. Uh, but And then game five would be on Sunday the 25th. So next time we talk to you, we'll probably be doing a preview of sorts for the Atlantic League Championship, or at the very least, breaking down what's happened in those semifinal games. Uh, on the flip side, Southern Maryland is going to be playing Lancaster uh, for their shot at the championship belt uh so it's two very good series there the Astro atlantic league championship series will start tuesday the 27th and it can end as late as sunday october 2nd but is only guaranteed to go uh through friday the 30th and it will start off with the north champion uh going to the south champion so whoever wins high point or gastonia will host games one and two with uh the last three games, of course, two of those being, if necessary, hosted by whoever comes out of Lancaster and uh, Southern Maryland. So before we even start concerning ourselves with that, what do we think of our four playoff teams and the matchups that we have?
1: Well, I think it's it's not a surprise, given I think really for the, I, mean, I mean we are playing uh, those spots are wrapped up with a week still a week left of games to play in the season. Um, not really a surprise as far as uh, those teams. Uh, Gastonia far and away has been the best team, uh, in the Atlantic League all season. Uh, but I think that, um, I think a, a series between them and High Point, uh, I think High Point certainly has a chance just because, of I mean, they're both rivals. Uh, and I, I think Gastonia will end up winning that series. Uh, I think the, the really interesting one is between the Barnstormers and the Blue Crabs. I think a really evenly matched series there. Uh, I mean, but it almost kind of seems like the blue crabs of historic, uh, in the first half, they really dominated the barnstormers, but, uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think in the, in these two series, I'm going to pick Gastonia and the blue crabs, uh, I think that I think the Blue Crabs have uh, have so much familiarity with uh, with the Barnstormers as well. I think they're going to come out on top, and I'm not betting against Daryl Thompson in a playoff series. I want to see the Blue Crabs also get to a get to a uh, championship series because they, I mean it's been I think since 15 I think was the last time they made it into the championship series, but uh, it's, it, it's been, been a while. A yeah, it's been so a minute. Uh, it I'll has look- been a while because the Ducks have kind of just run the North Division, but I. Uh, I I'm going to go with the Blue Crabs and Gastonia to make it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to look that up real quick just to see well, when the last time Southern Maryland made a, a championship game was. I believe the Patriots wound up dog-walking them in the last time yeah. they made it. Uh, but that being said, I'll agree on Gastonia. I think Gastonia is just too good of a team. They're going to finish with the, both top five all-time Atlantic League wins in one season. Uh, they're already at 86. I believe they could get as high as 89 or 90. Uh, so that's certainly impressive there. Uh, and winning percentage, they're going to finish. I think it was third or fourth all time as well. So it's equally as impressive. They've just been a dynamo team. And it kind of seems silly that at one point this season, we were questioning as to whether or not they were legitimately a good team and if they were going to even, you know, win the first half. And then could they well, keep it up in the second half? And... Uh, Ultimately, uh, it does seem kind of silly. We question it, but they were, they they pulled it out. So I think I agree with you. I think Esterny uh, is going to take. I think they're going to take care of business in four games. As far as on the flip side, I like Lancaster a bit more. They're a hotter team, even if they are thirteen games worse than uh, than the Blue Crabs are. I I kind of want to see Lancaster make it. So I'm going to go with Lancaster. I think it goes five games either way. But I do like the Barnstormers slightly more than uh they otherwise would and you were right 2015 was the last time they made the uh the championship game
1: yeah the only reason i know that i think is because somerset was in that well because somerset was the one who beat him and that was the last championship somerset has had. yeah uh but i i think that uh i think either way i think these plow series should be really fun though i can't wait for it
0: oh absolutely it definitely will be so we'll give a more in-depth look next week once we actually have series uh taking care and taking place, I suppose. So uh, be something to watch out for. We will have more postseason baseball to talk about next week. We will have championships wrapped up next week to talk about, and we'll have plenty more in the future. So on that note, we'll end this very long show, which quite frankly, as of the time of recording this, I'm not sure if you're going to get in your podcast feed or if we're going to have to do some funky stuff with YouTube or what the deal is actually going to be. I'm sure... You will have seen a video I put up yesterday at this point, or I will have hoped you did, on the social medias explaining, to some degree, the situation at hand here. Uh, so with that, we'll go to the plugs, we'll get out of here, and we'll kind of let you get to the games later today uh if you want to find the show i really don't know where to tell you at this point uh because that's part of our issue but uh apple and spotify and google are three pretty safe and reliable places but the best way to know if the show comes out or when the show comes out where to listen and everything like that is to follow on the social media channels that is on twitter at indie ball pod they absolutely best place to find us is twitter we're active on there you get a lot of up-to-minute updates if there's an issue and if we ever have to use youtube as a backup option that's the easiest place to find it and get the link tweeted out and sort out any sort of issue there if we have to do any sort of emergency uploading uh, that being said you can also find out on instagram at LPB underscore news and at <clears throat> and at indie ball report uh you could definitely find everything there the website's normally up to date however we may have to do some renovation work depending on how the situation plays out uh, so you may not be able to get every episode right away but definitely in the upcoming weeks we'll be able to get everything back embedded there uh so you can find the show notes though on there and you can find some other stuff there as well but uh Keep a weathered eye on the Twitter page. I really beg of you to watch the Twitter page because that is going to be the best outlet for staying up to date as we kind of sort out all these issues. So uh, with that said, do you have anything else left to add?
1: One well, thing I have left to add, I quickly want to give a big shout out to Billy Pinkney uh, with the Jackals, Billy the Batboy. Uh, he, he announced, I believe, a couple days ago when this comes out that, uh, that this season with the Jackals was going to be his last. Uh, so whatever's next for him, he's incredibly, incredibly talented. Uh, he's done so many things for, uh, for, for both the Jackals and independently league baseball and minor league baseball as a whole. He's got an incredibly bright future. Can't wait to see what's next for him. Uh, and a friend of the show as well so a uh, big shout out uh to billy can't i cannot wait to see what's next for him
0: absolutely honestly that's the biggest loss for this team going to Patterson is not getting billy to stay on i'm not sure how much of a factor. i think he said it really wasn't a fact that he was planning on this being his last year uh with the team anyway but he was always a fixture with the team always a fixture there he does quality work still follow him and i mean nothing but the best for that guy he, he gets uh he gets the job done. He gets great content done. So very, very much agree there. Uh, I thought this week I was going to be going on a rant because the Montreal Canadiens now have an ad on their sweater, which seems like such a sin to me on so many levels. And I'm kind of surprised the province is not on fire at the moment. Uh, but that said, don't really have too much to add outside of a lot of stuff's happening really i i know i'm stressing this a lot but keep following the social media it's the best place to keep everything up to date while we go through a a rather large transition period uh that hopefully by year's end i'll be able to explain with some detail but as of right now i just kind of can't so uh be sure to stay on the twitter that is the best spot to kind of follow along with everything that's all i really have to add because i really want to stress that point uh, as of right now so uh, with that said nothing else left to add enjoy the week of championship level baseball and until next time don't forget to play ball